I think a lot of people are locked by this idea of progress and not wanting to start over, which I think is a very like linear way of looking at it rather than looking at life as more of a life is the act of living. (laughs) I think it takes tapping into creativity to be willing to explore and brainstorm and see what comes out of just diving into an unknown and being okay with that unknown of of what's going to come out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Homesickness Cure podcast. Whether you're an immigrant in a new country or feel like the culture in your parents' house is a universe away from what's outside their front door, we can all agree on something. Creating a life you like in a place that doesn't feel like home is really hard. If you're struggling to find yourself while navigating two cultures, pour yourself a cup of tea, dear. I think you like it here. I'm your host, Anya Sharice, CEO and founder of Navigating Culture. And I'm on a mission to help immigrants learn how to self-validate, remove self-doubt, and achieve their dreams by redefining archaic ideas of success. Pop in your earbuds and get ready to take notes as I talk to immigrant and first-gen guests and even share some of my own advice on how you can start living a life on your own terms. Not your parents, not your friends, and not your nosy aunties and uncles. We'll be talking about finance, mental health, finding your purpose when it goes against the norm, fitting in and belonging, and a whole lot more. Leaning off the edge of your seat yet? Let's get started. Leah Foyer inspired and managed product teams at small startups, big corporations and agencies for the last 10 years. In that time, she's built more than 40 products, including several award-winning ones, grew into leadership roles, and helped companies grow towards their vision. In many ways, she had the career she had dreamed of, but it wasn't the one she wanted. Leah realized that as much as she was rewarded for solving business problems, it was the people she worked with that she cared about the most, helping them get unblocked, challenging assumptions, breaking problems down into clear and manageable steps. The tools she learned to be an effective manager and advisor of startups could be used to maximize the corporate bottom line, or they could be used to help people live fuller lives. That's where coaching came in for Leah. She wanted to help people reach the goals that matter to them. As a coach, the people Leah tends to attract are those who feel the tension of wanting a change, but also feel the societal and cultural pressures to stay the same or to take a pre-approved path. To me, it makes sense why a lot of her clients are immigrants and children of immigrants. In some ways, Leah can relate. After all, she is a second-generation immigrant of Jewish heritage. At the end of the day, however, what Leah sees the most often is that figuring out what excites you and being honest enough to live that out in the world is what makes you the happiest and brings success, even if everyone else may not approve. Today, we're talking with Leah about one of my favorite topics, finding your purpose when it goes against the norm. Whether these restrictive norms come from your current society, your culture, or even yourself. Hi, Leah. Thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your story? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'll start with my parents. My dad moved from Israel after the war when he was just a little kid, when he was six. So my mom actually is from New York, and I grew up in a family that was very entrepreneurial from the get-go. They had a small family business they ran together, making Formica furniture. I'm not sure if anyone's had that in their house since the 90s, but I kind of grew up with this mindset of a really hard work ethic and productivity and production was a big part of it and what it takes to get a business going. 
I also had a lot of art in my family. My dad was a documentary photographer. My grandmother, painter. My brother went to art school. And so I kind of had this mix growing up of that business side, like I mentioned, and the kind of creative artistic side that informed a lot of my career choices. Basically, after college, I kind of actually probably against what my family would have expected. I went into tech and startups. I was a a product manager. And I did that for 10 years. I grew into a head of product role at a company called TinyBot, where I made educational kids apps, where we were really focused on making apps that were meaningful and educational for kids and not just addictive screen swipey games to play. And I got to use that kind of problem solving analytical side, business scaling side, and the artistic side. And after that job, though, I stayed there for four years. When I was thinking about what's next, I really didn't resonate with a lot of the PM and tech jobs I saw in the market. And I ultimately found a job doing coaching and advising at a really large blockchain incubator and started to flex that muscle more and more that I had been using at TinyBop of guiding teams and founders and people towards their own sense of success. As much as I loved being in a large kind of blockchain environment, it was really interesting intellectually. I realized a lot of the problems I was working on weren't the ones that mattered the most to me. And so at some point, I kind of had this aha of the next set of problems that I want to tackle in the world are not going to be solved by technology. They're going to be solved by helping people build the community and the lives that they want to live. Wow, I feel like you give me so much. So you talked about your dad's family and your mom's family both immigrating to the U.S. at different points in their life. From your perspective, do you feel like you had the quote-unquote typical immigrant family experience? And when I say this, I mean when you talk to a lot of people from the Caribbean or people from South Asia, they tend to have like similar stories from my experience about you know how their parents are, their parents' expectations, or how they felt like they had to move through the world. Do you feel like you had that same or similar pressure or do you feel like it was different? I love that question because it's one I've been thinking about a lot. So I don't think I was consciously aware of the effect of the immigrant background and my Jewish background had on me until probably my late 20s. So no, it wasn't typical, but was it different than a lot of other people that I was growing up around? A hundred percent. Can you give me some more insight into that or give me an example of what you mean when you say that? So like I had a couple friends growing up whose parents moved and they were born here and there was a person in their family. And I think for them, there were a lot more expectations, traditional ideas around success, kind of pressure to be like the family in certain ways or assimilate in certain ways. And I think my parents were very open-minded in that way. Like they really encouraged, I'm the youngest of four, and they really encouraged us all to explore different pathways. And there wasn't a lot of explicit pressure, but I think there were a lot of values and assumptions that I grew up with that I didn't realize how tied they were to my parents' background. So I remember, I think my parents joke that they're going to put on their tombstones, we get the job done. I remember putting on my first cover letter for a job when like you don't have very many skills apart from like babysitting. It's like, it was like, I'm detail oriented. I work well with others and I'm a hard worker. And so this identity around being a hard worker and like doing whatever it takes to get the job done, I think comes from starting from very little. And I think this comes from being Jewish, but I'm still kind of sorting it out. I think there's a certain level of 
even when I'm super secure in life, I never really believe it. I think looking at my family history and probably subconsciously and how I was raised, there's this belief that you're never really safe. Even if you're fine now, everything could be taken away from you. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a Caribbean immigrant. And I definitely see the similarities in this work ethic, the need to always be proving yourself. I also want to dive into something that you said that was really interesting when you were introducing yourself. You said that you realize that problems will not be solved by technology, but by people. And I think that's really interesting because our whole lives, we grew up hearing that we want to create the next thing that's going to solve the problems of the world. Like when we think about the big problems in the world, hunger and people not having access to water or even problems that may feel a little bit closer to home, like people not being able to communicate well, etc. But you're saying that you actually, after spending 10 years in technology and like building products, you're actually saying that this is not the be all and the end all. And what's going to help us move forward as a society, as humanity, is like us turning to each other, mentoring and helping each other. So it seems that you are at the point now where you believe in coaching and believe in mentorship and you are creating a business with that and you really see the value. But there was a point from when I think about your story that you were really hesitant about diving into being a coach and diving into that part of yourself and your interests. So can you give us some more insight into like why you were so hesitant to become a coach when it seems like this is your calling and your passion? I think a lot of it came from, I had a lot of preconceived notions and judgment around coaching. In my mind, I had like a lot of built up ideas that made it seem not legit, like something people just do because they want to live a certain way or they you know it's a cover like they don't actually have a skill that they're doing which first of all like there's so much judgment laid into that like so what if you're doing it to live a certain lifestyle and the part about like oh there's nothing legit about it was the part I really had to unpack and believe in myself that like I am offering a unique skill a unique environment a unique perspective that can help people and it's not it's not a made-up fluff thing I think that was one part of it And I think the other part is like, there's also a whole slew of coaches that are kind of the opposite. Maybe you wouldn't say they're not legit or not, but they're just so egocentric and it becomes this whole business of self-help that I hope is helpful and I think probably helpful to many, but it's really unappealing to me without naming names to be associated with that same thing. And so it was kind of this process of realizing where's the judgment coming from of who I think about as, as coaches, both on like the least established to the most established and kind of realizing like it's a very broad field. I think like product management, I, I tend to go into fields as they're kind of, not that it's emerging, it's been around for a while, but it's, it's kind of wild west still in many ways. And just realizing that it means there's going to be a lot of different people doing different things in the space. And that doesn't necessarily value or devalue what I'm doing. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. So you talk about some of the judgment that you had around coaching as a career or as a calling. And I think you do bring up some excellent points and touch on a lot of bad experiences that people may have had. There are all types of coaching and coaches and the spectrum is extremely broad. I myself have had coaches that were great and I think were super helpful in me developing as a person. And I've also had coaches on the other end of the spectrum who 
after we spent three months together, I felt like I didn't actually grow, didn't learn anything and didn't actually move forward as a person. So what is different or unique about your coaching? I'll share about how I coach. And, and I think people just from seeing my, my drawings and my hearing things like this will feel whether it resonates or not. But I actually think one of the biggest factors is just fit. So that person that you spent three months with and felt like you didn't grow may be an excellent coach for somebody else. And so I think there's a lot of value in trying a relationship out with somebody, whether it's short or long term, to see whether you do get that kind of growth. So I think a lot of coaches have like a accountability mechanism and they help you set goals and they kind of check in. But sometimes to me, it feels a little robotic. And I think I'm very, I absolutely do those things. I think those are helpful things coaches can do. But for me, it's really about peeling back the layers and being both supportive and challenging in a way that can help you change your perspective about things and really help that growth happen that you're talking about. In terms of like what's kind of unique about my my style, so I use this GIF on my website. It's a little not getting untangled. And as I started to explain what I was doing to my friends and family, that was the kind of metaphor that helped people the most because I think a lot of times our brains are kind of fuzzy, knotted up tangles. And it's really easy to kind of get stuck in loops or just feel completely stuck or not be able to see what's beyond the knot. And oddly, I'm really good at untangling necklaces as well. And I think there's this art with knots of like knowing when to push, when to hold it, when to kind of like rub it around and massage it a little bit until it kind of releases itself. And once that's released, you have like a clear line to move along. And so I think that really describes a lot of the experience of what it's like to be coached with me. I'm kind of like in your brain, poking and pulling and holding this knot or whatever it is until it, it allows itself to release. And then you know what you need to do or you got to the realization that you need to have. A lot of what you said is super interesting to me. So you talk about a knot. And I think a lot of people, by the time they're ready to get coached, they do feel that way. They're on the point of complete share frustration. They really, really need help. Unfortunately, we don't live in a society that says get help before you have a problem. It's mostly like therapy, right? Like most people aren't seeking therapy when they feel balanced and clear and totally in control. Most people are seeking therapy when they're at the brink and they really feel like they don't have any option. Then you bring up fit. You talk about sometimes the reason why coaching relationships don't work out is because it's not a fit. In your opinion, you come to coaches, you say that you help people unravel or not. I think that there's a certain parallel between this not and feeling desperate and like being like, I need help at any cost. How can you find a coach who's the best fit when you really are just trying to like get someone to help you move to the next stage? My advice actually would be, so a lot of coaches either give a free session or like I do office hours, which are similar to that. And I think that even though it, it, it's hard to make yourself vulnerable and go do that when you're feeling in the state you're talking about, I have seen at least in on the receiving side of being a coach in that environment that people still can walk away after 45 minutes knowing how they felt before and how they felt after. If you go into that and you feel oh, I feel worse after I have this weird knot in my stomach or versus I'm feeling a little lighter. I feel like that person really understood me. I think even when you're in a tough spot, you can try something and, and 
assess the the kind of feeling before and after. Yeah. You talk a lot about feel, feeling like in your body, because you can't really feel in your mind. I think feeling in your body that this person is right for you, that you feel heard. So I spent four and a half years in tech and got burnt out. This year that I've had to explore new opportunities, I've realized that Western society, and I think I'm going to speak specifically about San Francisco because I spent so much time there. We don't really spend a lot of time being in our body. It's so mind-focused and mind-driven. And when you're worrying or you're stressed out, you're like so much in your mind. I think what you're saying rings true because if you're not in the phase in your life when you feel like if you can feel things in your body and you're open to accepting that truth without lots of evidence like oh I met this person or I had a conversation with this person and it doesn't feel right I feel like depending on your lifestyle or what you've been taught your body saying oh my god no even though your mind may say or because of your past experiences may say like oh no like you're freaking out you're overthinking it it may be really really hard for somebody to pick a coach or pick a therapist or even pick the people they should spend time around if they haven't been taught the value of Yes, there's truth in your body. And if something doesn't feel right, then it's okay to like walk away from that. So, so true. I think one of the biggest things I work with people on is getting back in touch with that feeling. And and I feel like I'm a recovering version of that myself. Totally right. Especially working in tech, even in New York where I'm based, you're really over exercising the analytical mind muscle part. And for better or for worse, no, definitely for worse, you are conditioned to shut off the body part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a hundred percent that is getting back into your body is and trusting your feelings, your intuition, or even just listening to them and knowing they're there is such a big part in like knowing whether something's a fit. Your body does tell you what you need if you listen to it. Yeah. Super interesting. I feel a lot of the people who are even listening because maybe it's because they work in tech or maybe even if it's because of the background that they come from are not used to trusting their bodies Mm -hmm. they're not used to trusting themselves because there's just so much outside and external influence coming at them telling them this is what you should do this is how you should feel this is the path you need to take Mm -hmm. I can see that even though this concept that you're talking about like does this coach feel safe does this coach feel right a lot of us probably aren't there yet and so what can we give or provide to people who are listening to be like okay if you're not at this state yet here are three to five questions that you can ponder on anytime you're in like a coaching situation to like help you pick somebody who is more suited to your life Hi, it's me, Anya, your host. I'm interrupting the podcast because there is this really cool thing I must tell you about. It's called Beyond Your Parents' Expectations, how to create a life you love in a new country. Here's the deal. I get you. I get why it's hard to imagine anything else for yourself beyond the doctor, lawyer, or CEO title. And I get why you're afraid to write down your big dreams. What if I can't figure it out, you say, that I'll be an even bigger failure? But what if I told you that there are two strategies you could learn today to help you learn how to self-validate, learn how to stop doubting yourself, and figure out what a successful life looks like for you, not your parents. Want in? Download this free audio training to learn how to build the clarity and confidence you need to start building a life really like today. 
Go to navigatingculture.co forward slash live your best life. That's navigatingculture.co forward slash live your best life and download your free gift. I'll also drop the link in the show notes to make it easy to copy, paste, and go. I'm so excited for you, and I really hope that this audio is life-changing. All right, that's it for me. Let's get back to the podcast. I think I was coming up with a few ideas. So one is, this is a halfway in between. When you're not sure what your body's feeling, I feel like you can sometimes trick it and ask it an analytical question that's vague. So writing something on a one to 10 scale, you could say afterwards something like, how good of a fit do I think this coach is on a one to 10? Or how likely do I think this coach is on helping me increase my success, whatever that means on one to 10. And sometimes that's enough. And then ask the why, what would make it a 10? What's missing? Why is that? Which is like kind of a, an in-between and analytical and, a, and an emotional. Another thing people could do is ask for referrals to see like what other people's experience are like. And I think the other thing that came off top of mind, thinking about the different types of coaches that are out there and what you want out of the coach. So if you go in and you know you want somebody who's really supportive versus somebody who's going to really push you to excel, even though that those actually might have the same outcome, that language and, and kind of marketing to me indicates a lot about the style of the coach. Thinking about in your life, for example, what types of support or managers or mentors have been most effective and useful for you and thinking about whether those traits are present in your coach. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I think that's that's really helpful. I think it's getting to the point where you are comfortable with being honest with yourself. For me, I see so much of myself in like what you just said, getting coaches who are not the best fit for you because you are just so desperate to like have your problem solved instead of sitting in what it is that you're feeling, what it is that you are trying to improve about yourself and like taking the time to present that information to another person over and over and over again until you find the right person or until the right person comes to you. When you said referrals, a small part of me is like, Ugh. because again, it's being afraid to like share your, your full self with the world, right? And having that person who's in your circle, maybe talk to people who are, and you're also in your immediate circle and being like, hey, like, do you know anyone? And feeling fear that that information may get spread, even seeing that as a weakness. And I definitely think that's something that I have struggled with, that a lot of other immigrants, et cetera, have struggled with because you feel like you have to like put on this brave face of, yes, I'm doing well, everything's pushing forward. To get to the right coach, you also have to do a lot of work on your own, but get to the point where you understand that to get the help that you need, you need to be honest and vulnerable and sort of like rip off some of those layers. And even though it may be scary to like present yourself like that to the world, understand that you're not going to grow as a person or understand that you will stay stuck if you're not willing to jump into the lake a little bit. I think one of the things I think is under talked about though in that scenario is by doing that, you are giving everybody else permission to do that too. That's not the real world. People are making stuff up and figuring it out all the time. And so I think the more that we 
reasonably safe ways. Like I'm not saying go out and pour your soul out to somebody you really can't trust. But I, I think that there's a lot of good that could be done by starting to break down that facade and being a leader in that way. That's true. And I think there's a certain bravery that comes with that. And I don't know if that's an inching for some people or if it's someday you just wake up and you're like, it's it's now or never. So I feel like we've been spending a lot of time talking about really sharing your full self with the world, being vulnerable, which I think is a topic that comes up more and more every time I speak to <laughs> someone, whether it's for the podcast or just in real life. So I want to ask sort of a twofold question. It's how do you help people share their full selves with the world, like specifically in your coaching practice? And like, what do you think is stopping immigrants and people from immigrant families from sharing their full selves with the world? So I think you have to start with what even is your full self, right? What parts of you are you suppressing? What parts of you are curious to explore? So a lot of the early sessions for me are about kind of re-getting in touch with that. And sometimes, as you said, that's a process of getting back in touch with your body. Sometimes it's a process of realizing all the layers of things that are making you misperceived. And this is a common immigrant and also other everybody issue is that we have all these beliefs that are not actually ours. We've adopted cultural beliefs or familial beliefs about what success looks like or what I want or how I'm supposed to be in the world. And we really believe them, right? Where it's like, this is what we're going after and this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's not until some signal happens, whether it's you're starting to be incredibly anxious and have insomnia or you're feeling really uninspired or like it comes up in different ways. But at some point you realize this isn't right. There's something off. And that's where the work starts of kind of peeling back. Like, am I living by my values or by somebody else's? So a lot of the initial stuff is kind of starting to peel back the layers on that and figure out what it is we're actually trying to get after in terms of sharing your full self. Who is your full self? You might be in touch with what you want, but you haven't given it a chance. And so thinking of a client I was just working with who her whole life loved music. I actually have another one in a very similar situation in both first gen who always wanted to be a performer. And both their parents were like, no, that's not you. You're not good at that. That's not going to be a job, yada, 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 all this language. Even if you know that you find that little seed of something you want, there's also a lot of courage and support needed to go explore that and say, hey, it's okay. I can go sing. I can go be on a stage. And what is a tiny little step that I can take to bring that into my life in some way? So just very structurally, I will do this kind of goals and wants and kind of dream exploration, but also some of the uncovering some of the biggest challenges. And then it's a kind of collaborative effort to decide each session, which of these challenges or pieces I want to work towards. So sometimes we'll dive into self-talk. Sometimes we'll dive into a session on how do I actually make the next step in my music project or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a very collaborative, creative process, basically. In terms of other big blockers, I think what you brought up earlier, not knowing your feelings, fear is a really big one of judgment. It could be fear of just an unknown. When you're figuring out life, there's not necessarily a clear, this is how you do this thing, right, in terms of being your full self. And so you have to be willing to step in the unknown and believe that you will land on your feet. Or if you don't, you'll be okay and you'll be able to pick yourself back up. That is 
really interesting. And I really like that you gave us an example of one of your coaching sessions. I think it's cool that you dove into a little bit about how you work in coaching. And one thing that I want to dive into, whether with this specific example that we talked about or another one, is how creativity plays a part in your coaching sessions. Because you talk so much about peeling back the layers, you talk so much about play and discovery, you talk so much about taking the time to get more into your body in coaching. And I just wonder if the fact that you are so connected to your creative side, I see that in your Instagram a lot, all of the drawings and the doodles that you do, if that creativity and focus on art and coaching is all connected. And if you could just share how it's connected, I think that'd be really helpful. Love that question. And and there's just so many (laughs) layers to it. So one layer is that life is a nonlinear problem, right? Like figuring out how to live your fullest self out in the world and what that looks like. It's not like anyone else has done it because you're you. And so it absolutely requires creativity. And so the one way I think about kind of creativity hat versus kind of analytical business strategic hat is creativity is about seeing what's emergent, what's coming out, what's divergent, and much more in in touch with the play and exploratory side. Whereas kind of strategic decision-making and focus, which is also a big part of our work, is much more about, I know what B looks like, and I just want to figure out the fastest path to A to B. I think a lot of people are like blocked by this idea of progress and not wanting to start over rather than looking at life as more of a life is the act of living. (laughs) I think it takes tapping into creativity to be willing to explore and brainstorm and see what comes out of just diving into an unknown and being okay with that unknown of of what's going to come out. Other parts that make it related, a lot of people I work with, I think creativity is actually fairly suppressed in many ways because business is often so focused on the fastest, most efficient, best, yada, yada. And so I think the fact that I have experience developing a creative practice and know how challenging and scary that can be, but also how rewarding, I think that gives me some common ground to work with people on if that's a piece, you know, a little piece of a flame inside them that's looking to grow. And coaching are very tied in that for me, they're both a way to kind of hold up a mirror and say, this is what I heard and took in and this is how I perceive it. And it helps people look at things from a different perspective, whether it's verbally through coaching or through drawings. And I think that's the whole, for me, end game of my work is helping people see things from a new angle so that they're no longer stuck in their old patterns and can see things that really might excite them or make them think about what's possible in a new way. Wow. I feel like you hit the nail on the head for me. When you talked about people just want to get from A to B, what's the fastest path? Like, how do I solve this? And that is so real for me. I think that's why sometimes I've struggled with coaching. At the first session, I'm like, okay, what's the plan? What do I got to (laughs) do? Like, you're you're the expert, like, help me figure it out. And that's not always the case, right? Sometimes you have to spend time talking about what's the issue, getting to the root of the issue. I think it's true for so many people too. It's it's that pressure of always having to figure it out. And the irony is, is that you come to coaching to either let go of that or to get help in that area, but you still put so much pressure on yourself to get it done. 
that is such a good insight. And I appreciate you sharing that about yourself because I, I feel like perhaps the most common block is your own desire or willingness to, to change. That's something I kind of do both in the beginning and throughout is, is kind of check in on commitment to change. Because I think without that commitment or desire, even with it, it's really hard, right? And so without that, if you're not ready for whatever reason, it's probably not going to be a great use of your time. However, I still think even if you're not totally ready, but there's a part of you saying, go, go, it is good to show up because I think it's like getting the muscle going. You're preparing in some way to be ready. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's so helpful for so many people to be able to see that. So I'm, for better or for worse, an action-oriented person. (laughs) I think even though I understand the importance and the necessity of getting more into your body and trusting that your body can give you truth when it comes to your life, I still am an action-oriented person. Like, I still want to have the list. I'm going (laughs) to ask you for that now because I feel like there are other people listening who... (laughs) feel similarly so I just want to get your insight on what are some daily actions that immigrants and children of immigrants who want to live life on their own terms can do to feel more confident in their decisions about living a life that may go against the norm confidence can come from a few things one we have to talk about what's blocking the confidence as well as how to build confidence a general thing that is helpful whenever you're making a change and honestly just in life is to surround yourself with supporters. And so it's partly going through and and taking a really honest look, like what three people are most contributing to my negative views of myself or my dream? What three people are most encouraging and supportive? And being, I think that that exercise helps you both decide who to spend more time with, but also lets you process when somebody's kind of threatening you or your dream to be like, nope, that's just them and their views and their values. They'll love them for all these other reasons, but they need to like sit over there for a little while. Number two, in terms of confidence, sometimes I think this thing happens where confidence, I think can come from achieving what you set out to do. You have practice, right? Like let's say you're in school, take a test and you get a good grade. You will build up more confidence in taking tests. I think self-esteem also plays into this, and that's a kind of separate question. Setting out small things for yourself that you can achieve, right? Like break down your big goal and start to do little things. You're working on this idea of I'm an artist or whatever. You might not have a lot of confidence in your ability to be an artist, but you have to practice being (laughs) until you get there and to kind of prove to yourself that you are. And so what's the smallest thing you can do to practice being an artist? And so for me, I'm talking about my own personal journey now. I remember when somebody told me I was an artist like two years ago, I was like, I'm not an artist. What are you talking about? And so what's the way to break down a piece of your goal to something that is enjoyable, easy, doesn't even feel like it's going to be hard to skip a beat and do and incorporate into your life that practice to start to build your confidence and identity or whatever it is that you're working on. One other piece I would recommend to know your self-talk. So that that daily habit might look like journaling or meditating or talking to a friend, but knowing what the negative self-talk, so like when I say self-talk, I'm talking about kind of these voices I think that we all have in our head that says, you're not good enough, 
know what those voices sound like. You can do that by journaling them out and practice having a response to them, right? Like putting them in their place, write out whatever it is that you want and figure out small ways that you can practice doing that in each week and get to know your self-talk or your saboteurs, what those voices are in your head that are kind of holding you back. I love that. So it's surround yourself with people that support you and the changes you're trying to make. Get to know your self-talk and understand what the voices that are in your head, how are they making you feel less confident and capable and have a way to respond to those voices when they pop up and then write down what you care about or want and why you want it and then write down the skills and the strengths that you already have that will help you get your goals and have that as a reminder that you can go to again and again when you feel like if you're not getting to where you want to go. Well, those are all the questions I have, Leah. Do you have any last words before we close out? No, I loved all your questions. Thank you so much for writing and asking such good ones. I'm sure that people want to hear more about who you are and what you offer and how you can help them. So can you share a little bit more about where they can find you and where they can learn more about you? Absolutely. So I have a website. It's Leah Foyer, L-E-A-H-F-E-U-E-R.com. You can also find me on Instagram, same thing, at Leah Foyer. And I offer monthly office hours, which are 45-minute sessions for a very reduced rate. Otherwise, if people are looking for ongoing coaching, I do kind of two different types. I do leadership and entrepreneur coaching, which is for people who are very focused on certain skills or mindsets that they want to work on to excel as an entrepreneur or leader. And then the other bucket, which we've been talking about most in this cause is really more the life and career planning. And so I work with people to figure out what they want, what it should look like and how to get there. I do do some workshops and talks on occasion. And so if you're interested in that, I always will share that kind of stuff with my email list or on my Instagram. You can sign up for my email list on my site. Amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. Leah, it was such a pleasure having you here. I really enjoy all of our conversations. This was even a coaching session for me and helped me to sort of think about some of my own blocks and some of the own ways that I'm limiting myself. So I appreciate the work that you're doing and excited for people to get to know you. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm so glad it led to a few insights. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode. In all honesty, it was a rough one for me. And yet I think that's why I needed to hear it the most. Even though I'm such a big advocate of going after a life that's defined by your own version of success, I will be the first to admit that it is very difficult. And through my conversation with Leah, I saw so much more than I needed to work on. With that said, it really helped me to grow, and I hope it will inspire you to grow as well. Right now, I just wanted to take the time to share three of my favorite insights from the episode in hopes that you can pull some wisdom from it and use it to go about your daily life. So the first one is, sometimes you don't realize how your upbringing impacts how you move through the world today. So you really have to not be afraid to question what you think are your innate beliefs. Hand in hand with that is recognizing that we are all susceptible to other people's judgments about our potential plans, activities, desires, goals, 
So we need to be aware of this because when we internalize those judgments, they can stop us from doing what we're meant to do in this world. And I think a great example of that is right in this episode. Leah had all these judgments about coaching and about helping people in this way, and it almost stopped her from doing what she is meant to do in this world. And think about if she had really listened to those judgments, it would have stopped her from developing a coaching practice that's extremely unique and is helping people out in a very special way. The second insight is sometimes finding your purpose when it goes against the norm means asking for help. So for so many immigrants and first gen in particular, you know, we either move to a new country by ourselves or we want to prove that we can make it on our own or we have to, because of sheer necessity, make those first brave steps without any handholding because no one around us really understands what we're doing. And so with all that in mind, starting on your own can be extremely confusing and vulnerable and heart-wrenching. So I really feel like if you're in that position of, I just don't know what to do next, but I know that I want something different from myself, but I just don't know how to get there. It's so important to get support from someone who can help you untangle the knots in your brain and move forward with confidence. And the third and final insight is that there is this notion or this theory and this wisdom that says that our purpose goes back to our childhood joys. And I will say that that's true it's partly true but i'm not sure it's necessarily completely true for everyone not all of us were exposed to what could potentially be our passions at a young age for so many different reasons but what i think we can gain from that saying or the previous wisdom is that it's important to tap into that childhood joy that childhood curiosity that youthful desire to learn and the willingness to trust and see what happens next And I think that the more you take on these qualities in your daily life, the easier it will be to find a thing or things that bring you joy. And it will also help to give you the confidence that you need to fully invest in a life that makes you excited to get out of bed every day. All right, friends, that's it for me. Looking forward to meeting slash seeing slash hearing from you in the next one. Have a great day. Bye.